Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host, and this week I want to talk about a certain genre of sitcoms, and that is the family sitcom. There's the family sitcom, which has been a staple since the beginning of time, and of course there is also the workplace sitcom. Now, for practically all of my career... I have gravitated towards the workplace type of sitcom, primarily because, quite frankly, I just don't like writing kids. But uh, still, it is a very, very popular form of sitcoms, and so I thought I would talk about it and really kind of go back to the beginning and um, kind of work my way up and... uh, couple of stories along the way. What gave me the idea was last week's episode. Peg Lynch, if you missed last week's episode, check it out. She had a family sitcom that lasted for six years uh, back in the 50s and uh, 10 years on the radio. And, you know, it's very relatable. The family sitcom is something that, you know, most people in America can relate to. Most people have had a mother or father, even if they don't know who they are, but still, biologically, they've had one. So as a kid, I grew up in the 50s. I'm an old guy. Okay, I admit it. And and I watched a lot of these family shows. And from where I grew up in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles, which was pretty much white suburbia, kind of what was depicted in these shows. Still, I watched these shows, and they seem to be from Mars. Leave it to Beaver is a good example. Okay, Leave it to Beaver, which is a show that I quite enjoyed, but I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. The mother is always in a dress and always has pearls. 
She's always wearing pearls. She's making meatloaf, and she's wearing pearls. This was weird. Also, it's this giant two-story house, and the two boys had to share a room. What was going on upstairs? What were they using all those other rooms for? And the, the main thing about that show that seemed weird to me, again, this is the 50s, when the thing that you were worried about as a kid was getting in trouble and getting hit. Okay, that may not be the case today, but it was back in the 1950s. You worried about getting a spanking. And they talked about that all the time in the show. You know, Beaver was always worried that that he was going to get hit. But the reality was, they never got hit. (laughs) And I'm sitting there, and the dad will take them into his study, and, well, Beaver, uh, you learned a lesson, and uh, we're going to let you off this time. And as a kid, I'm thinking, hey, Jesus Christ, you know, if he doesn't get hit for that, then what is he complaining about? Because he ain't going to get hit for nothing. So that show always seemed very weird to me. And the other thing that seemed very strange about Leave it to Beaver, and I imagine I'm going to get a lot of comments, which is fine. Hollywood Levine at Outlook.com if you want to chime in. But it's a comedy. Meanwhile, the family was really dull. There was nobody funny in the family. And the only comedy in the series were all of the supporting characters, all of the recurring people. Eddie Haskell was a great character. Eddie Haskell was hilarious. And then you had Lumpy Rutherford and Whitey and pretty much all of the satellite characters were funny. But Wally Cleaver was never funny. I mean, you know, Ward Cleaver and and certainly June. And it's another thing about uh, the moms, especially in those 1950s sitcoms, is they were just so boring. They just had no personality at all. They just kind of chimed in and made dinner and, and looked nice wearing pearls. So I was Leave it to Beaver, but Leave it to Beaver was still, as far as I was concerned, a laugh riot in comparison to Father Knows Best. Now, Father Knows Best, to me, was just this this family (laughs) devoid of any kind of soul or personality. I mean, these people were just mannequins. Again, not funny for a second. I can't think... I can't even think of a storyline from Father Knows Best that was, you know, remotely amusing. And the kids there, they didn't even worry about getting in trouble. No one ever seemed to really get in trouble. And, you know, uh, if they did, you know, the, the dad was just always there to pat him on the shoulder and say, hey, bud, you're doing a great job. The other thing about that show that was weird for me, 
Uh, because, again, back in the 50s, they don't do this anymore, but they used to do this in the 50s. Not only would they show you the credits, the opening credits, but they also had an announcer who would announce it. You know, Sea Hunt, starring Lloyd Bridges. And for Father Knows Best, it would start out by saying, here are Robert Young, Jane Wyatt, Eleanor Donahue, blah, 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 blah. It always seemed weird to me. Here are Robert Young. And yet, I watched that show, and I guess as a kid, you know, back in those days, there were only three networks, and you pretty much watched whatever was on. But you kept hoping maybe this is the week it'll be good, and it never really was. One show that was kind of funny was the Danny Thomas show. And the reason why the Danny Thomas show was funny, well, two reasons. Number one, it was a multi-camera show, so it was shot in front of a studio audience. So they were going for laughs. And number two, they had a kid on that show who had the greatest comic timing of any child star I have ever, ever seen. And his name was Rusty Hamer. And that kid was absolutely amazing. I mean, you know, there are just some actors who just hear the music. They just instinctively have that sense of timing. That was Rusty Hamer. Now, Unfortunately, as is the case with most child actors, um, their adult life was not happy at all. And in his case, it was so unhappy that it became tragic and he wound up killing himself. But, okay, leaving that aside, because that's, that's a whole other thing as to what happens to children actors once they grow up but he at least was was very funny the thing about that show is Danny Thomas used to yell and scream through half the episode and then at the end he would have this incredibly maudlin speech and even as a kid again I'm like seven years old and I'm going Oh, Christ, this is really bogus. The one show that did make me laugh and uh, (laughs) I thought was actually more like my family was uh, Dobie Gillis. Now, Dobie Gillis was a teenager, so he wasn't really a kid, but he drove his parents nuts, you know, and his dad would say stuff like, I got to kill that boy. And I'm going, hey, all right. Now, that, that sounds like 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 a real parent. On the other hand, uh, another show that was incredibly dull was the Donna Reed show. Now, I watched the Donna Reed show because I had a crush on Shelley Fabre, but it, too, was so <sighs> lightweight. It was just so lame, and I think to myself, why... Why did I watch this crap week after week? Maybe the worst, and this one I didn't bother with, was The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. Uh, 
There were no adventures. None. This was the most boring family ever, and it was the actual Nelson family. So you had David and Ricky, who were the actual sons of Ozzy and Harriet. They're not great actors. Uh, Ricky proved to be at least a pretty decent singer, but uh, they weren't particularly good actors. And um, in that case, too, it was always weird because Ozzy never worked. Ozzy was like always around the house. You never really knew what any of these fathers did. You know, I, I think Ward Cleaver was in insurance somewhere. Um, I, I don't know what uh, Robert Young did on um, Father Knows Best, but he always came home at 6 o'clock at night. Hello, kitten. Hello, bud. <sniffs> you know, um at least on the Donna Reed show, uh, the husband there was a doctor. But, you know, for most of these, you had no idea what they did. Then, finally, finally, a show that I could identify with, and this show was actually half workplace and half family. This was the 1960s now, and the Dick Van Dyke show. And what I loved about the Dick Van Dyke show was... Number one, uh, he was married to a super hot wife in Laura Petrie. And number two, the kid was really dopey. Like most of these kids are just precocious and just charming and really lovable. And, uh, and Richie was a dork. And so I, I found that. I found that interesting. And also, you know, Carl Reiner, who was the creative force behind the Dick Van Dyke show, found ways of making funny family situations. I mean, there were actual comic premises. And that was really the first time where I saw a family show that, that, I, that I liked, that wasn't just, all right, I'll watch this because, you know, the only thing on uh, instead is combat. I don't want to watch combat. Uh, The Dick Van Dyke show was one of the best family shows. Now, when I was a teenager, again, being part of the boomer generation, everything was catered to us. So there were any number of shows in the 60s starring Teenagers, usually teenage girls. I can think of the Patty Duke show, which was terrible, and I watched every week. I liked Patty. I didn't like Kathy. And Gidget. Now, I kind of had a crush on Sally Field, so I watched Gidget. But, you know, I'm watching all of these shows, and the (laughs) teenagers don't sound real at all. And, of course, they always have parents who are warm and understanding. But at the time, I'm just going, what's wrong with this? And what's wrong with this is the fact that they were 50- and 60-year-old guys writing these episodes. What the hell does a 55-year-old guy know about what 16-year-old Gidget is going through 
1966. And it's one of the reasons, I'll be honest, why I have no desire to write any kind of kid shows or any kind of shows that feature teenagers because I'm now that guy, you know? And and my feeling is if I can't write a character that I feel is authentic, that I feel that the dialogue I put in their mouth is something that someone their age would say, then I'm not going to do it. But that was never really a problem back then. So once we started our career, again, we're very lucky because you, you take work. You know, you get whatever job you can. And believe me, if uh, starting out, uh, David and I had gotten uh, Family Matters or Webster or Growing Pains or any kind of show that was a family featured kids, we would have jumped at it. But we were very lucky that most of the shows, practically all of the shows that we worked on were adult-oriented. We had one pilot. It actually became two pilots. Uh, We wanted to do a family show, and this was in the, I want to say, early 80s, when there weren't actually many family shows. Kind of hard to believe, Um, but there weren't many family shows. And We had seen a feature on the Today Show about a family in Iowa that, to make ends meet, they were facing hard times, that everybody in the family had a job. The mother ran a travel agent out of the bathroom, and the kids had paper routes or whatever, and uh, the daughter was sewing thing. I, I don't know. We we had jobs for all of them. We thought, okay, this is kind of an interesting area, have this quirky family where everybody works. And we were at Lorimar at the time. We had a development deal at Lorimar, which is a studio. It was the studio that did Dallas. That's pretty much what kept them afloat. And the president of Lorimar was a gentleman named Lee Rich. And Lee Rich was this old school salesman. And we had very few dealings with Lee. Uh, We would deal with his various vice presidents and lieutenants and, you know, director of comedy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, So rarely would would we see Lee. But we had a meeting to pitch this pilot to CBS. And Lee called and said, I'm going to go with you guys to the meeting. And we went, okay, great. So we go to the meeting, and we're meeting the vice president in charge of comedy development at CBS. And Lee Rich says, I'll just you know, do a little introduction. Okay, your company, do whatever you want. So we sit down and Lee Rich says, you are a fucking 
idiot if you do not buy this idea. Now, I have been around for a long, long time, and this is the single greatest idea I have ever heard. And if you're so fucking stupid that you're not going to buy this right now in the room, I'm going to NBC this afternoon, and I will sell this thing by 2 o'clock. And, you know, the VP is like, well, okay, I'm kind of intrigued. And uh, and we're thinking, wow, you know, we, we think it's a good idea. We, we didn't realize it's, it's that great. But anyway, he said, okay, here's Ken and David. So we go and we pitch the idea, and they buy it in the room. And we walk out. We're going to the elevator. And, uh, and Lee Rich says to us, hey, guys, you know what? That is a pretty good idea. <laughs> he had never heard it. <laughs> when he did that preamble, he had no idea what the hell we were pitching. So we write this show. And uh, we wrote it as a single-camera show. CBS said, we want a single-camera family show. Fine. We write the show. And then they go, you know what? Uh, we don't have any other family shows. We don't have anything to go with this. So we're going to pass. Okay, so they pass. And now we're really at the tail end of the development season. You know, this is like January. And we get a call from ABC. ABC said, uh, we're looking for a family show, and we hear that you guys had one that CBS passed on. Can we see it? And we said, sure. So we sent over the pilot. It's called the Kibbies, if you're scoring. And they called up, and they said, okay, we love this. We just have one change. We want to make it multi-camera instead of single camera. (laughs) Little change. It completely changes the tone. It completely changes the story. And they go, oh, and we need the finished draft like in a week and a half. So we quickly come up with a whole new story, and they said, name it something else and name the character something else so that uh, it, uh, you know, there's no legal issues. Uh, Okay. So the Kibbies became the Griffies, and we write this show and turn it into ABC, and ABC says, oh, my God, this is fantastic. We love this. So we're figuring, okay, great, we got a pilot. Then they call back two days later, we're passing. Then you go, what, why? They say, well, we have a commitment to Irma Bombeck. And we have to put that one on the air. But if it's any consolation, yours is way better. No, that's no consolation. How is that a consolation, for Christ's sake? Uh, so the Irma Bombeck show did 
get on the air, and it lasted 13 weeks. Um, you know, I've directed a number of family shows, and what I find is that the kids tend to be eight- and nine-year-olds who are actually wizened, world-weary, 55-year-old, middle-aged people in the body of an eight- and a nine-year-old. It's it's always kind of sad. Um, and it's very tough to rehearse because they're off in school most of the time. So you can't really do much with them, especially if they're not very good. You don't even have the time to work with them and, and try to get their performance. Um, there have been... I would say some excellent family shows over the last 30 or so years, um, despite my feelings about the woman personally. Uh, Roseanne, in its early days, to me, was just a groundbreaking, fantastic family show. Everybody Loves Raymond, a show that I directed. Um, always funny always funny. And if, you know, you haven't seen Raymond in a long time, you know, go back and check it out because that really is a funny show. And Modern Family. Although, to be fair, I thought Modern Family was better the first few years than than it finally, you know, became. But, uh, Again, it is still a very viable format. I just don't like writing precocious kids. Uh, they they never sound real. They're always just kind of wisecracking. And it, ju- it just doesn't sound authentic. Um, you know, I've raised a family. I... Uh, I love having a family. I prefer writing shows about people in a bar. So uh, that's kind of my uh, my screed this week on uh, on family comedies. Oh, well, the other thing, one one last thing, because this is all just rambling. But I think being a wife in one of these family shows is maybe the most thankless job in television because the wife tends to be the wet blanket. The husband tends to be this goofy man-child, you know, this... uh, you know, Jim Belushi and Ray Romano, Tim Allen, you know, just they, they want to go off and do all these crazy things. And it's Patricia Richardson or Patricia Heaton, some Patricia, uh, Nancy Travis uh, having to go. Now, come on. You know, you really shouldn't. You shouldn't sell the kids for whiskey. Yeah, I know. I know we need the whiskey, but you shouldn't sell the kids. You know, it's it's always like a a thankless role. And the guys usually uh, are some form of stupid. You know, there's like some form of of being, 
you know, really dense or um, just clueless. Maybe not stupid, but clueless. And I just don't love that dynamic. I just like smart people who interact with each other uh, and, you know, you know that you don't have to have a school marm uh, as you know the co-star of your show so those are my thoughts on family shows what are your thoughts email me hollywoodlevine at outlook.com that's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com uh, i'm also available on twitter at ken levine on instagram hollywood and levine our thanks as always to adam and susie meister butler to howard hoffman john wolford bruce and jason miller thank you for listening and i will see you right back here next week on hollywood and levine <laughs>